If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Welcome back to another episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Um, we're not even to the month of June yet, and we already have a preseason prognostication for the final college football top 25. We'll get into that. Um, we're going to rank the Big 12 running backs, not necessarily by name, or but by unit, uh, going with the team that has the from, from worst to first is what we've been doing it. Um, we also have uh, – we got to talk about the softball regional in Norman Sooners uh, take home the regional championship and get ready to host Super Regional. We'll get into that, preview the Super Regional a little bit with some thoughts on the regional victory. Baseball is heading to Bricktown for the Big 12 tournament. What do the Sooners need to do to get into the NCAA? We'll talk about all of that. Matt Hofen, along with Richard Cray, finally back in the same studio again. I'm really, it's just, I say finally, it was only a one week hiatus for me. But here's the thing I don't know if, you, if you've thought about this or not, Rich, but uh, we have this week and next week, and then I'm gone for three months. So we go back to the old fashioned, like we did last week, on the, over the computer, recording it that way. But at least we can do that nowadays, right? That's right. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um, Athlon released its top 25, and and what they what they've got is um, this is the way they see it all shaking out. At the end of the at the end of the day, here's how it goes. They've got Iowa State finishing number 24, Texas finishing number 11, Oklahoma finishing number six. I think that means that they don't have Oklahoma in the college football playoff. Which I mean, I, I can see maybe a little bit of an argument on that. Um, here, here's the thing. I, I've got a couple of thoughts. The first thing that surprised me was they've got both Ohio State and Michigan finishing ahead of Oklahoma at number Oklahoma at number six. So I think I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think the order was they have Alabama national champion. They've got Clemson. They've got Georgia, and then I think it was Ohio State and Michigan in that order before you get to Oklahoma, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Ohio State. So. I mean, I, first of all, there's no way, in my opinion, no way that both of those schools are going to finish ahead of Oklahoma. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy at all because you've let, – let's be honest here. In the Big Ten, Michigan has had a lot of promise, especially last year. You look at the promise that they had defensively. People thought that Michigan was un, unbeatable. 
that they were going to roll over teams. And then they met this Ohio State team who really came in and just steamrolled them. Right. But you've also got to look at Ohio State because Ohio State is losing their quarterback. I get what they've inherited. <laughs> Georgia's loss is Ohio State's gain in this situation. But needless to say, it doesn't add up to a pile of beans until we see these players on the field. They can have all the potential in the world. They can have all the promise in the world, but that doesn't mean it's going to come together for a first year starter at a major program, especially in the big 10. I'm just looking at going off of the arc that this big 10 has been on recently. And I'm saying it's, it's, it's not unrealistic. It, there's the possibility that it happens. I just see it as more improbable than it is probable or well, improbable. Here, I guess would be the real here's word. Here's my, but here's my take on this: is that I, I feel like the Big Ten is starting to become the most overhyped football conference in America. I mean, you, you've got the SEC. I mean, you got you got Alabama and Georgia. Okay, there, there's you can make a good argument to have Alabama and Georgia there. You can't leave Clemson out. They're the, they're the defending national champions. They're going to be good again this year. I don't think they'll be as good defensively as they were last year, but they're still going to be good. But then you start when you start thinking about Ohio State and Michigan, I mean, find me the last time two Big Ten schools finished in the top five, and and it, not only that, but it, that's that's like having Oklahoma, Texas. It's like having Alabama, Auburn. I mean, not not just two schools, but two rival schools. I can see one. I mean, honestly, I can see, I can see Oklahoma kind of sitting out this year in the playoffs. I don't think they will, but I can see that happening. What I can't see happening is the Big Ten having two teams ahead of Oklahoma, who I believe will be the Big 12 champion in those final standings. I can see two SEC teams in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen it before. I think we can see it again. I like Justin Fields. I like what Ohio State's getting in Justin Fields, which to me, again, is kind of crazy. They've got Michigan ahead of Ohio State. And at what point do we start talking about Jim Harbaugh being a little bit overrated as a coach? He's a great recruiter. Yeah, yeah. He's a crazy personality. But if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm thinking, or even an Ohio State fan as the rival, I'm thinking, what has this guy done to deserve this type of ranking? Yeah, I can't disagree. Um, I agree Great recruiter, especially changing the realm or how we think about recruiting by doing and really bringing to the forefront the idea of a satellite camp just to entice some of the kids that because you're in the north, northeast part of the country, you don't really get to dip into California and Arizona and Texas, maybe as much as some of these other programs do that are located in the SEC. So like I said, revolutionary when it comes to recruiting, the product on the field just hasn't lived up to the height and hype, excuse me. And there's no, there's no excuse for that at this point in time. When will that change? The talent's there. We know that the talent's there, but when will the product on the field actually live up to the billing? That's going to be that question that continuously hangs over a program like Michigan until something changes. Can it be this year? Matt, it absolutely can be. Will it be? I don't know. All right, so let's go back to the Big 12. Oklahoma, Texas, Ohio State, Athlon predicts these three as the top three teams in the Big 12. That I mean, finishing the top 25 rankings, that means – Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, some of those other traditional players within the top 25 are not going to be ranked. 
do you feel that? I mean, we, we've talked about in past podcasts, we've talked about how we feel like the Big 12 is going to shake out. Where are they off on this? I don't know that they're off by much here. And the real reason is because of the shakeup that we're having at the quarterback position here in the Big 12. Now, there are some teams where you know they're set, they've got experience, they've got returning starters, but a majority of it, <laughs> that does not describe the situation for, like I said, a majority, 60%, maybe 70% of the program, 60% of the programs at least, okay? I'm going with it. I'm sticking to it at this point in time. So when, I, when I'm looking at I think there can be a couple of teams who will challenge for those, but ultimately strength of schedule is going to be a major concern at the end of the season. Where have these teams gotten wins and are they wins against ranked opponents or were they faced with a, a ranked opponent in a non-conference portion of the schedule and simply couldn't hang with them? I, I think that's going to dictate a lot of that, specifically that non-conference portion of the schedule, because looking at their top 25, there's not a lot of opportunity to get a win over a ranked opponent. If we're taking this and saying this is how it will be. Well, and here's here's one more negative take. And I got one positive take from this. But one more negative take on this is you look at at, at three teams finally fin, uh, in the final big uh, – let me start this sentence over, okay? You look at three teams in the final top 25 uh, as projected by Athlon. That's not a great reflection on the Big 12 in general when you got the highest-ranked team, number six. Now, you got Texas just on the outside of the top – Top 10. And right, 11, at number 11, huh? but still. So they're, they're saying it's top-heavy with Oklahoma and Texas, mm -hmm. but then really nobody after that until you, you get know, down to Iowa State. And I, I think some of that can change because a lot of this is based off of what do you have on the roster that exists as an immediate contributor. And one of the concerns, Matt, that we've talked about with Texas has been the lack of a running game, mm -hmm. as well as was it the defensive line that we mentioned as a concern? And I failed to listen. Yeah, that was it. But we've got the, the defensive line as a concern. We've got the running backs as a concern at Texas. If they can prove that these are two areas that aren't as big of a concern as what we may have thought preseason – then sure, they could bump inside of that top 10 in the preseason rankings easily. Iowa State comes down to coaching. Iowa State comes down to the quarterback play as well. But you look at losing a guy like Hakeem Butler. You lose a guy in the backfield um, mm -hmm. as Montgomery. well, Montgomery. Those are two huge losses for this offense. So when it comes, like I said, when it comes down to it, is there proven talent at those positions on these rosters? Not yet. And a lot of the decision-making, I think, is based off of that specifically. Well, here's here's my final uh, – I agree with what you're saying. And, and again, it, this is, we're, we're not even in the month of June yet, and we're, we're doing some <laughs> prognostications for what's going to shake out early January. But one, one final thought I have is that I, I do like that this um, – this kind of bucks the trend that we see with a lot of a lot of the media, a lot of outlets are are predicting Texas to win the Big 12 this coming season. Having Oklahoma number six, Texas number eleven, Athlon doesn't appear to be on board with that. What are you gonna do? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> leave it the way it is. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to Center Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. We're gonna talk about Big 12 running backs next. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. 
Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, well, let's jump in here and um, talk about running backs. Last week, we talked about quarterbacks, kind of ranking the right, Big 12 quarterbacks. Right. Um, and really, we went with top five because of, of the number of six schools replacing a quarterback. And then you kind of know Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter at Oklahoma. So now we're going to look at all 10 Big 12 programs when it comes to the running back position. And we're going to take from worst to first, starting with number 10, going to number one. And uh, I'm going to let you go first. Tell me who your, who your number 10 team is and why. Can, can I actually lump two in? No, man. And, you got to go with 10. And do 10 and 9. I guess if you right need here. to. Here's, here's where I've, I'm at with number 10. I've got Kansas State, and it's because there's no proven running backs on the roster. Mm. What they lost last year is it left this massive void in their roster, in their depth chart. Who's going to fill that? I literally have no idea, Mm. which is the same reason at number nine for me because big shocker, I do have Iowa State. Montgomery filled so many roles, was probably one of the more consistent running backs in the conference produced at an extremely high rate, very dependable. Iowa state loses him. There's no one who just slides in and becomes that next guy up for me. I can't identify him just looking at the roster at this point in time. So I've got Kansas state and Iowa state 10, nine for a lot of the same reasons. It's, it's that big question mark dangling over the program mm-hmm. and wondering who will Someone has to, but who's it going to be? Yeah, I've got the same two schools in the same order for the same reasons. And the reality is I, I've got Iowa State 9. The only, the only, I mean, it was like a coin toss. Who's 10? Who's 9? Mm-hmm. Right. But for me, Iowa State, I put them at number 9, not knowing who their feature back's going to be just because of their offensive line. I mean, I, I feel like Iowa State's going to have the better offensive line out of these two schools. So whoever does emerge to fill that void that David Montgomery left behind – uh, they're they're going to have a better offensive line than what's going to take place in Manhattan, Kansas. So just based on the unknown, Kansas State, number 10, Iowa State, number 9. And then once you get into what you do know, I've got Texas Tech at number 8. And, you know, DeLeon, DeLeon Ward, I only find it. Took three three tries to get it right. Um, But here's the thing. 341 rushing yards last year. He's a a dual threat running back 196 receiving yards out of the backfield i feel like you know moving away from cliff kingsbury's pass happy spread offense the red raiders are going to keep the spread but i think they're going to try to balance it out a little bit more which means ward is going to i feel like get more touches in 2019 than he did last year he proved that he has some explosiveness he's versatile and what he can do um but just that unknown uh, limited visibility that we've seen of him running in Cliff mm-hmm. Kingsbury's offense. I got to put him at number eight, but I think he's a talented kid. <laughs> it's funny because I've got the a lot of the same reasons that you've mentioned are why I've placed Texas Tech at number eight as well. I think Ward can be that breakout candidate of the year this year because of the talent, because you've mentioned not only can he run the ball, but he's also shown that he can come out of the backfield and be a, a, an option in the passing game Mm -hmm. for this Texas tech team. But the major hangup for me, we do have this shift 
in philosophy, we've got this shift in coaching happening here. And so it's it's more of one of those, you've got to prove it before I'll believe it situations. I mean, we're looking at a staff of running backs that was outrushed by a quarterback last year. And this is a Texas Tech team where I don't think that that should be happening, considering how valuable the quarterback is to this Texas Tech team. Granted, it was the backup quarterback who has incredible wheels, but needless to say, you're outrushed by a quarterback. It shouldn't happen at the Division One level, in my opinion. But Oklahoma had the same problem. It happens in Austin, last Texas year, as so. well. <laughs> yep. Texas Tech. All right, give me number, number seven. For me. Number seven. Um, I really struggled with this one because this is where the, the waters got really muddy for me. And so I put pen to paper, and this is what popped out. Is it good? I, I don't know. But this is where I settled on Baylor was at number seven for me. John Lovett becoming a recognizable name because I don't know why, since he's got the lack of production mm-hmm. factor working against him. Regardless, Baylor's one of those teams that actually has two options at the running back position, which does set them up nicely, which is why I really struggled at putting them at seven. Cause there are a lot of teams I have ahead of them who don't have two options, but it's what you're getting in. If we're going to say the guy who gets the, the lion's share of the carries, right. I do believe that that's going to be John Levitt. It, the question for me and why Baylor falls so low is because uh, again, the offensive line, the pass protection isn't necessarily there are, Play is going to be broken down pretty quickly, or are we going to see Brewer just turning around and scrambling and consuming a large portion of the carries that could have potentially gone to Levitt because they're backed up into these second down and long or third down and long situations? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going step for step here. I've got Baylor number seven as well, but for a similar reason, but different. I, I like John Levitt, 5.3 yards per carry in 2018, but here's the thing. I think that Matt Rule is going to really go to the pass offense this year. I think he's got one of the top quarterbacks in the Big 12. We, we've talked last, extensively last week about four returning starters. Brewer is one of those four. Could be, as far as passing goes, maybe the top of those four returning starters. I think he's going to use him. I, I think he's going to literally uh, you know, throw, throw Brewer until his arm falls off, which means limited productivity from the running backs. I don't think – you're saying offensive line breakdowns and so forth. I'm saying just play calling. I, I think it's going to be pass happy. Try to Because I think Baylor is going to have a lot of deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball that they're going to have to throw the ball a lot, and Matt Rule knows this, and I think that sets up for a bigger season for Brewer, a lesser season for Lovett, and so I've got him sitting at number seven for me um, in the Baylor Bears. Number six, I've got Oklahoma State Cowboys. Um, not for sure where you rank them, but I, I've always been a fan of Chuba Hubbard. Back Even back in his recruiting days, I really wanted him to end up at Oklahoma. He's a speedster, a home run threat. He, he Again, we talked about Ward from Texas Tech being a dual threat guy. Hubbard, 740 rushing yards last year while splitting time with Justice Hill. You look what he did in the bowl game in the absence of Justice Hill. 229 receiving yards, um, nine total touchdowns, and that's just splitting time. He's going to go into 29 as the Oklahoma State's feature back, I think Spencer Sanders is going to end up winning that quarterback competition, which means you're going to have a, a semi-dual threat quarterback 
as well as a good speedster running back. I see a lot of stretch plays um, with this where, where your quarterback kind of moves to his right and then hands off the ball to Hubbard going left. I, I, I like what he's getting. What I don't know, my question mark here about Oklahoma State is still on the offensive line, but he's talented enough that I think he could easily be top five. I've got him just on the outside looking in, and Oklahoma State at number six was far as rushing offense. <laughs> I did not put Oklahoma hey, State. Hey, we have our first disagreement. At number six, and I may I may regret this one. Um, I'm looking at West Virginia. Okay. Yeah. West Virginia does have two proven backs on the roster that mm-hmm. I think are going to step up. When you look at Kennedy McCoy, you've got Martel Petaway, two solid running backs on the roster that are very dependable. But that was under Dana Holgerson. Right. My biggest question here comes in not not can these guys complement each other because I fully believe that they can. But when I look at that loss of Dana Dana Holgerson. Is Did I almost said it like Daner? a British person. Daner? Daner? I like a British person. <laughs> My question is: Can this incoming set of coaches harness the talent that is there and actually propel them to more production than what we saw from them? Because it was re- very, very reliant upon a quarterback at West Virginia last year. Yeah, that's a good call. Obviously, I have West Virginia ranked higher than that. In fact, we're going to go into our top five here in just a second, talking Big 12 running backs, uh, position by position going through on our Center Nation podcast. But uh, we've got our top five. Uh, only disagreement is Oklahoma State. I've got them at number six. you got West Virginia Which at number six. Which means we've got disagreements coming. So, exactly. So mm-hmm. disagreements uh, in the top five as well. Center Nation podcast. You can catch us at Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I guess. Catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter. Would love to hear from you. At. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> Man. You're just you, told, jump you told in me there. to go straight. Uh, yeah, straight, sorry. Fire and a little bit of miscommunication there on the backside of that. Let, Rich and Matt, uh, Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, <laughs> Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Talking about Big 12 running backs, ranking the teams. Here's what we've got. Uh, we're, we're agreed Kansas State, Iowa State are number 10 and number 9. We're agreed that Texas Tech is number 8. We've both got Baylor at number 7. Number 6 is where we had our first disagreement. I've got Oklahoma State. You've got West Virginia. So hit us up. Who is your number 5? I actually think this team may have the, the most potential to rise up these rankings and it's TCU TCU performed extremely poorly last year. And that was more of a cross the board because the expectations that were placed upon them to begin 2018 certainly deflated and were completely gone midway, maybe seven games through the season. TCU wasn't who we expected them to be, but I like what they've got. And I'm going to pronounce this guy's name, and I'm going to butcher it. Oh, so I, yeah, I know, here, I, know, I know exactly yeah, huh? what yep. you're going with. Yep. <laughs> Alona Lua sounds good to me. Okay, hey, so I we're rolling with, with it. And Anderson, again, when, when I'm looking at the production from last year, it just wasn't there. But I think these guys have the talent. Mm-hmm. I think the combo of these two could be extremely dangerous, especially with an extra year of experience, not having those same expectations that are placed upon them. You know, they're splitting about 250 carries. That number could potentially go up for them. I believe they're in a really good spot 
but I've got them at five again because they're going to have to prove some things to me before I can say they're they're one of the best duo or crop of running backs in this league heading into 2019. All right. Well, we'll I'll get to TCU here in a minute, but my number five is I've got uh, the Texas Longhorns. Um, Keontae Ingram's wow. kind of your feature back there, 708 mm-hmm. rushing yards, 170 receiving yards in 2018. Here's my knock against against the Texas Longhorns. Well, I've got two knocks, really, offensive line play, but really play calling. And I feel like, you know, since Tom Herman has has been in Austin, he's been really trying to find that quarterback, trying to groom that guy to be the next great Texas quarterback. He's got his man in Sam Ellinger, but Sam Ellinger likes to run the ball, and and Tom Herman likes to run Sam Ellinger. And, and really, the last two seasons, I feel like Texas has underused their running backs now you've got Ingram coming back after a pretty good season in 2018, but how much is Tom Herman going to use this guy? Because here's the thing. I feel like to really make Ingram more of a feature in his offense, he's got to take away from Ellinger a little bit. And I don't know that the bromance between Herman and Ellinger will allow for that. And so I, I think Ingram, why he is talented is probably going to be underused again in 2019 so that's why I've got the Texas Longhorns number five. My number four is your number six. I've got the West Virginia Mountaineers for you know what you said. <laughs> you you had Kennedy McCoy. He was a thousand yard back last year when you talk about all purpose yards. Eight hundred and two rushing yards, two hundred and twenty four receiving yards, nine total touchdowns. They lost Will Greer. I think that's a good thing for McCoy because as they yeah, – I'm on the opposite side well, of see, that. But I, I feel like as they really go back – because not only did they lose Will Greer, they, they lost David Steeles. I think they're they're retooling this offense altogether. It's a good reset point. I think Austin Kendall ultimately will probably going to win that, that quarterback job. But – I think you're going to see more balance come to Morgantown. Uh, you know, you're moving away from the high flying. Don't worry about defense. Just throw it 50 times a game. Dana Holgerson offense to more of a still spread attack, but more balance. And I think McCoy benefits from that. We already saw how talented he was and the game breaker that he can be from what he did last year. I think he even rises higher this year. He'll be, in my opinion, he'll be a thousand yard back in 2019. That's why I've got him and the West Virginia Mountaineers number four on my list. Number four for me, we're flipping four and six because I do have Oklahoma State here at this position. You look at a guy, Chuba Hubbard, definitely showcase that he can carry the load when given the opportunity. Is he an every down back? I fully believe that he is at this point in time because of what he showcased without Hill standing there next to him on the field or without him even available. Needless to say, when I look at a guy like Chuba Hubbard, he is the future of the position at Oklahoma State. He's experienced. The only thing they're lacking here is experience behind him. Now, they have some upperclassmen who are most likely going to fill that that spot as the number two option when it comes to the running game. But again, it, it's not proven talent at this point in time. It's really sending someone in to spell a guy like Hubbard so that Hubbard can get back onto the field, have a drink of water, at least seem rested before taking another snap. I do believe Oklahoma State's going to rely on him a little bit more heavily than than just in the running game in general, rely on it more heavily than what we've seen in the past. I know we expected it last year. They had the benefits, if you will, 
um, of having a quarterback who had the ability to tuck the ball and run and make things happen. They had Hill on the roster as well. They don't have either of those players. All that focus is going to shift towards Hubbard. And, and I absolutely believe that he'll deliver. Number three for me, Matt, number three is good old Texas. Why? You've mentioned Ingram, okay? Ingram, I what? know, I know, right? Okay. You, you're I, I just realized who your number two yeah, is. Yeah, you're you in complete and utter disbelief. Ingram coming back is huge, absolutely huge for Texas. Not that the, that he had the option to leave, but I still think having a guy who at least has that experience in a starting role on this roster for Texas will pay dividends. The reason I've put them at number three instead of lower down my list is this little guy named Jordan Whittington. I don't know if you've seen any of the highlight reel of him, Matt. I don't know if you've seen what he's capable of, a five-star recruit coming in. Yes, he is a true freshman. I don't see any way that they keep him, keep him off the field this year. And Winnington already kind of made a name for himself because – he absolutely, on the high school level, refused to be denied when carrying the ball. I believe that he may be the crown jewel of the recruiting class for Texas here coming into this year, even with a guy like Brew McCoy on the roster as a member of that class as well. Needless to say, Ingram and Whittington, if those two can can live up to the billing, they may be the best duo in the league. No, no, not a chance. Okay. Not a chance. Okay. Uh, they, they can be top five, but they won't. They they're won't. already top five. Well, well I mean, they, they're, they're top five. They're, yes. There's but potential there and a is, lot of it. Okay. I, I'm just saying that's a lot to put on. A, I mean, you, you have to have a generational talent. I mean, Adrian Peterson did it. Generational talent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, for a true freshman to come in and be that guy. Right. It's got to be a generational talent. And I'm not saying he's not. But I'm just saying in, in May, it's hard for me to, to jump is, on that you know, bandwagon. He, he's an early enrollee, which is certainly going to help him mm-hmm. in that cause. Is he going to be the day one starter? No. Is is he going to be the week 10 starter? I, I don't I don't believe so. I still think Ingram holds that role. But he's at least got a companion who can take a lot of that responsibility. A lot of what guys are going to prepare for won't just be Ingram now. No, I, I mean, but this never just been Ingram. I mean, I, I'm just... Look, I, I, I don't know why I'm taking time to, to really argue against you in this moment. But, I mean, <laughs> again, go back to the, what Tom Herman's use of running backs has been, you know, mm-hmm. it's been modest. And then you're talking about a true freshman propelling you to one of the top running back units in the Big 12, where they've really not even been on the map, so to speak, as far as top five. I, I think moving to number five is a big step for them in 2019. Now I could be totally wrong on this. I'm throwing out that I could be totally, but think how think how good Trey Sermon was as a freshman, and you're saying this kid has to be way better than even that to get them to where you're saying they want to be. Could happen. I don't see it happen. My number three, I got your boy Puka Williams and the Kansas Jayhawks, <laughs> who by the way is not even on the team right now. But there's no way that Les Miles is leaving him off. I mean, Les Miles, at some point this summer, Les Miles and Puka Williams are going to come to an agreement. Uh, this, the, the Everything seems to be, if not completely resolved, close to being resolved with the domestic abuse situation. I, 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 look, I, I even said this about Joe Mixon, as big of an Oklahoma fan I, as I am. 
Joe Mixon shouldn't have been, should not have played for Oklahoma. I cheered for him. I covered him. I was happy he was there. At all? No, he he should have been. I, I feel like he should have been relocated. There should have been, and I said it at the time. And this is nothing new. Not that I want to take away from Joe Mixon. I, I love the fact that he was able to overcome a mistake, get his life on track. You know, get it corrected. He's off to a very successful NFL career. So good for the kid for getting all that worked out. But if I said that about Joe Mixon, I feel like I got to say it about Puka Williams. That said, Les Miles is not going to dismiss Puka Williams. He's got to build somewhere, and coming from the SEC, that's where he's going to start building. He is the leading returning rusher for the Big 12. Oklahoma fans remember very well that game he had in Norman. This kid is dangerous if they can get him in space, if they can get the right schemes out of him. Kansas is going to go, you know, as far as Puka Williams carries them literally in 2019. Number three, Kansas Jayhawks. They have one of the most talented. I don't believe he is the top talent, but he is one of the most talented running backs. And when you think about how bad Kansas was last year, that he, he you know, he clipped 1,100 yards rushing. That's pretty impressive. So you want me to go ahead and go with number yeah, two? Yeah, please or, or do. do. You want, since we're talking about Puka Williams, you want to we, jump in we, there? We can. Um, I do have Kansas at number two because I, I fully believe you've mentioned it. I'm going to piggyback it and say that Puka Williams will be the most productive single back in the Big 12 Conference next year. And it's because of the reliance that they are going to have to put on him. You've mentioned the SEC and the SEC really leaning towards the running game, less miles coming from there. Maybe, maybe not going to instill that very scheme. But regardless, when you look at Kansas, they do have to have some kind of building block. And Williams is that for this program at this point in time. No questions about it. All right, so I'm going to jump in number two. For, for number two and number one, I have what I believe are the best, the, the two best tandem running backs in the Big 12. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit about what you said about TCU. Last year, I feel like TCU's offensive struggles all hinged around the quarterback. The, the, the quarterback position for TCU in 2018 was an absolute disaster. And when your quarterback position is a disaster, it just filters down through the rest of the offense. And, and there's, there's multiple examples that we can look at, you know, in that position, you know, um, Texas had it, you know, after, after the McCoys left, Texas just kind of went into a, a, a wasteland at quarterback play. The, think about Oklahoma 2009, when, when Sam Bradford goes out in that very first game against BYU and Landry Jones, who ended up being a pretty good quarterback, really gets thrown in there as a freshman to kind of make his debut a year sooner than he should have. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. That's, I mean, just the quarterback play, if it's bad, it it destroys your offense. But you look at the production. You you said there was a lack of production with these two running backs. And uh, Alona Leah, I don't even, I didn't even say it right either, but... Kid averaged 4.7 yards a carry last year, and Anderson was 4.8. That's pretty good averages combined. They're over a thousand yards. I think these guys, Gary Patterson's got he he he's got options at the quarterback position this year. It'll be a totally total remake. But what I I like what he's got in Delton, who I think right now is going to win that quarterback job in Fort Worth. Think about where he came from and what he's familiar with, with that old Bill Snyder offense of either running the quarterback or run heavy. Um, I mean, the, Bill Snyder was kind of the, the, the rebel 
uh, in the Big 12 when it came to offensive play, where everyone else is spreading out and slinging it. Bill Snyder's kind of messing with you on that that jump pass, you know, that that's that slip screen where the the linemen are really too far downfield, but they're not far enough to call the penalty, and then you throw it. I mean, there's Delton is is familiar with what I think Gary Patterson wants to do, particularly with these running backs. I think they're going to be a very dangerous duo in 2019, but they're not going to be as dangerous as what Oklahoma has in uh, in in Kennedy Brooks and Trey surprise, Sermon. Uh, I mean, surprise. think about it. Com- combined 2,000 yards. We're, we're talking about uh, you know we're talking about TCU's running backs combining for a thousand yards. Oklahoma's running backs combined for 2,000 yards. They were the best stable of backs in 2018. They'll be the best stable of backs again in 2019. And and when you think about it, you know, they're they're both different. They're unique in their own aspect, but they're a great team. And when you throw TJ Pledger in there as kind of the third third, third head in this monster, you know, Oklahoma is going to be set at running back. The the question on Oklahoma's offense is going to come down to when we talk about the offensive line, but they're they're set – Across the board at the skill positions, Trey Sermon, 947 rushing yards, 181 receiving yards, 13, 13 rushing touchdowns last year. And then, oh, what's Kennedy Brooks do? He's got 12 rushing touchdowns, 8.9 yards per carry average on 1,056 yards. It's not like, look, usually when you have a guy averaging 8, 9, 10 yards per carry, it's because he broke one long run and like a strand of like 10 carries, right? I mean, the guy only carried the ball 10 to 15 times all season long, broke like an 80-yard run in the midst of all that. So he's got this high yards per carry average. Kenny Brooks, almost nine yards per carry, and he was a 1,000-yard back. That's insane. No way you can't have them as the number one duo in the Big 12. Right, and that I think that one's pretty pretty easy to settle upon at this point in time it's not only what they're bringing back but it's also the depth here that you have to take into into consideration because we talked about trey sermon and his productivity but when he had to miss some time it wasn't like this oklahoma team missed a beat you can dip down you've got a guy tj pledger who can step in and fill a role an extremely talented back Of course, I feel like we're a little bit more knowledgeable when it comes to Oklahoma because we're watching them week in and week out. We're following the storylines, but that doesn't take away from the product on the field and the proven talent. We've talked about that these guys could both head towards the NFL next year, and I can't say that about any other team in the conference at this point in time. Yeah, I I agree. That's that's a good point about the NFL because I I think it's definitely something – I feel like for for sure we're watching Trey Sermon in his final season. He he's got so much tread on his tires, so to speak, that he would be doing himself. You mean a lack of? No, he he. You has, always want to replace him when the tread well, gets worn out. I see out. what you're saying, but I'm just saying um, he he would. Be, I feel like barring an injury, he would be doing himself a disservice to come back for a fourth year after he's going to get his third year of a lot of productivity. There's enough film out on him. Oklahoma fans appreciate him. They really need to show him the love this year because he'll be gone after 2019. Hey, don't don't go away. We've got to uh, talk some more spring sports. It's officially postseason time across the board for spring sports. we got to talk softball, baseball, and what all that entails. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. 
All right, Oklahoma does what they need to do in Austin, Texas over the weekend, taking two of three from the Texas Longhorns, including an opening 13-0 victory over Texas, the largest margin of victory for Oklahoma in the history of this rivalry. It gets them into the Big 12 tournament. The Sooners will enter in as the number seven seed. will play the second-seeded Baylor Bears to open it up at 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, which means you've got limited time to listen to this portion of the podcast before this game takes place. Um, regular season, Oklahoma lost two or three from Baylor, but they went into a Sunday um, – they went into a Sunday rubber match that actually ended up being a 12-inning match. Oklahoma finishes a regular season 33-21, 11-13 in conference play. You know, you look back at that, that they didn't get they didn't sweep Texas. I said they needed to win the series, but if you do, I mean you go back playing hindsight. If you could sweep Texas and you finish 12 and 12 in conference play, it sure puts you in a better position, in my opinion, looking at NCAA tournament possibilities. I think I still think Oklahoma needs to win one game in, in Bricktown to to feel like they have secured a spot in the tournament. What do, what do you think? I absolutely agree with you. Right now, I'm looking at D1Baseball.com and some of their projections. Right now, they're saying Oklahoma is one of the first five who will be out of the NCAA tournament at this point in time. I can't disagree with them. Needless to say, Oklahoma's got to make a little bit of noise here, and it's not just their conference record that, mm-hmm. that's going to hurt them. It's what have you done for me lately? And I think, like I said, if if Oklahoma can surprise a couple of teams here specifically in the Big 12 tournament, then they're in. But right now, I, I've got them on the outside, and like I said, I'm just following D1Baseball.com yeah. and their predictions, which has them on the outside looking in as one of the first five out. Well, and the what have you done for I me mean, lately department? They did beat Texas. I mean, they in, did. In Austin. Mm-hmm. But a win over Baylor would be huge. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, sorry, I, I'm, I'm ADD sidetracked. How crazy is it that Texas won't be at the Big 12 tournament? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we talk about the we talk about the position where, where Skip Johnson has Oklahoma baseball. They're, they're not where they need to be, but you see them rising and improving. We've talked all season long how they're improving with their pitching staff. You see Texas going in the opposite direction. Here they lost Kip Johnson. Here's your well, as I'm saying, here's your long-term projection. At some point, probably not to the end of the, a year from now, at some point Texas is going to make a play for Skip Johnson. Just just wait and see. You watch throwing it out there, long-term bold prediction at some point within the next 12 months, probably closer to 12 months from now, Texas is going to make a play. For Skip Johnson, Oklahoma, you know, again, they they played, but they have a chance against Baylor. They, they beat him in the first game, lost the second game. That rubber match went, like we said, 12 innings. It's not like Oklahoma's dead in the water. They're going to, based on how that game goes, they're going to play the winner or the loser of the third-seeded Oklahoma State or in six-seeded TCU. Again, there's the potential of them going over in Bricktown is slim. I think there's a better chance they win one than they lose two in a row. That's I, I think that's a fair assessment of this team because they've proven that they can compete. They can hang tough with some of the better talent in the league on those first on specifically on Friday is what I'm thinking here because of how crucial that game is in a series. Oklahoma 
Skip Johnson, he's familiar with that. Mm-hmm. He knows that if you can secure game one, your likelihood of winning the series skyrockets. Needless to say, they've been competitive. I think they can compete here. I think the probability of them winning one is, like you're saying, pretty likely. I think they're going to need two. No, I think one gets it done for them. One gets it done. I'm, I, th- I think if you win one in Bricktown, mm-hmm. you're coming off of a series, uh, a series win. You're, you're a low seed. You're the seventh seed, so you're not, a, you're not expect. There's not a lot of expectation from you in the tournament, particularly. And if they can get that one, you know, you're talking about in the opener Wednesday afternoon mm-hmm. against Baylor, and you beat one of the top seeds, that win would carry a lot more weight, obviously, right. than if it's against but TCU. The thing that that always concerns me are these automatic bids. And I'm not saying that they're going to take an automatic bid isn't going to come in and be a three seed at one of the regionals. Right. But you do have to account for those. You have to account for some of the shifting that happens as well as what other surprises. I mean, we're looking at Florida D one baseball.com Florida being one of the first or the last five in Mm -hmm. They're 13 and 17 in conference. They have a winning record overall, but conference record isn't looking too hot right now. Are they going to be a team who surprises and secures or keeps that spot? Or will they fall flat on their face and lose their spot in the NCAA tournament? Like I said, there's just so many unknowns. I would feel really good about two wins being the thing that 100% secures a spot in the NCAA tournament. One win may get you there, but two wins, I think, is the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. All right, we'll see how it shakes out. Big 12 tournament gets underway Wednesday. Sooners uh, uh, playing at 4 o'clock against the Baylor Bears. Uh, we got to talk softball. Uh, I want to I talk two different aspects. I want to kind of review uh, the Norman Regional and then mm-hmm. preview the Norman Super Regional. Uh, my, my initial thought um, after the Regional is this. Oklahoma is going to go as far in the postseason as G. Juarez takes them. Yep. No disagreement from me there. Here's my initial impression after being educated, okay, about just the quality of opponent that was in Norman is that Oklahoma's faced some pretty darn good teams Mm -hmm. and has come out ahead. You had the ACC player of the year. You had the Big Ten player of the year. You had the Big 12 player of the year. And I believe UMBC had a, a freshman player of the year candidate in their pitcher. I could be wrong on that one. I would need to double check it. But I'm looking at the four teams that were in Norman and the caliber of individuals that they have and still Oklahoma. I'm going to say that even though Oklahoma is the number one overall seed in this NCAA tournament, that it was the most difficult regional to come out of and that you're disagreeing with yeah, me by the look I can on get your on face board with that but give, I mean, I'm give me give, give me give me who it would have been for you what what's the regional well, that would have been I more think difficult any, i just don't see how you get three conference player of the years at the exact same, same. location yeah, I, I, I get and that say point, that someone but, was better but you're talking about in, individual um mm-hmm. you're talking about individual players as a, as opposed to teams right and I, you look at you know that that the regional UCLA Missouri that that was a great regional. The Austin regional was. But that's just two teams. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just throwing some out there. The Austin regional where you had Houston, 
and and Sam Houston both pulling upsets in the first round in, in those opening games. And mm-hmm. then you got Texas finding their way back from the losers bracket against Texas A&M and then having to go back and beat Houston again. Which twice. is what scares me about supers. I'm just throwing that out there before we get there. Well, we'll we'll get to the supers. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm not saying it was not a difficult region regional. I just don't I don't know that I can jump on board saying it was the most difficult regional. Um, you know I I think I think I do I will tell you um and this is I I don't intend for this to be a slide at all, but I feel like when you when you do look at the teams involved, I think the Stillwater regional Oklahoma State definitely got a better draw. When you, when you look at a, an overrated Arkansas team that was there, Tulsa is always, you know, they're always going to be a player. They're they're salty, but they're just the, they're the third best team in the state. I, I I think I think definitely Arkansas and Tulsa and Stillwater were better than Wisconsin and Notre Dame favorable wise in, in Norman. Um, I, I think the same thing of the Evanston Regional where Oklahoma is going to end up playing that champion. Uh, you know, you, you look at you know Detroit Mercy. I don't know. They're probably a wash to UMBC. I think they're probably a little bit worse. Uh, but then you had Southern Illinois, Louisville there. Um, I just don't know that I can get on board with that. Here's what that's I can fine. get on board with saying is this, that uh, – You're entitled to your opinion even it, if it's well, that's, wrong. That's, that's what the podcast is about. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma, Sydney Romero was outstanding. I, I do believe she's still setting the pace to be the national player of the year. She was outstanding for Oklahoma in this tournament – all three games, all really, all four games that Oklahoma played in. I've got questions. I mean, I mean, look, Giselle Juarez was amazing. You know, her two starts, really her three starts, uh, it was all shutouts. But Shannon Sale looked very, very shaky in that first game on Sunday when she got put in there, ultimately resulting in Giselle Juarez kind of getting in a, in a bad spot. And, and Wisconsin coming back and winning those get that game with really and, and credit Wisconsin for what they did. They just went small ball against Oklahoma. And I think you're going to see a couple other teams do this just because it's so hard to put the ball in play against Giselle Juarez. But if you can get runners on base and you can advance them with small ball, then then do that. And Wisconsin did that superbly. I, I where I've been really high on Shannon Sale. I've been really high on this pitching staff. I really feel like Giselle Juarez separated herself this weekend, but it gives me cause for concern moving forward, particularly in Oklahoma City. When here's what you're going to have. I mean, think about what what makes the World Series so great. It's because you typically have outstanding pitching in Oklahoma City for that. And when Oklahoma faced this girl from Wisconsin. She really put the brakes on Oklahoma's offense. They they got they they did get timely hits in the in the first and the last game against Wisconsin. But outside of Sidney Romero's leadoff home run on Sunday, that early game, Oklahoma's offense was kind of a no show. They've got to get better. Sidney Romero was outstanding, but you know you you need you need Jocelyn Allo and Grace Green to really step up in the top half of this lineup. Otherwise, I still think Oklahoma gets past Northwestern and makes it to Oklahoma City, but it could be really dicey for Oklahoma if they don't if their offense doesn't come around a little bit. Yeah, I, Matt, I always want to play into a little bit of the mentality when we begin discussing specifically a team that you previously faced and you beat. Granted, it was four zero the first time around. 
one, two, second time around, two, zero, third time around. But here, here's, here's just my general assumption here is that after you've beaten a team, the reason it's so difficult to beat a team back to back is because you already believe that you've got that mental edge that you've beaten them once. It's going to be a cakewalk, not, not a literal cakewalk here, not a figurative one either. Um, but you believe that it's going to be easy to beat them again because you know or you think you figured out their tendencies. Then they switch something, catches you off guard, and you now you're reacting instead of being proactive. I think that was more or could potentially have been more of a factor than Wisconsin coming in and just shutting down this offense because we see the next time around, sure, it's, it's a two-run game, but Oklahoma was – they didn't look like they were struggling. Let's put it that way. Well, see, and again, I, I disagree. I mean, I, Wisconsin played – they played an impressive regional. They did. You know, they, they held off Notre Dame. To, to and, force and, a, a decisive yeah. game Well, they, they held the off Notre Dame senior. in their first game, and mm-hmm. then when they're facing elimination against Notre Dame, they rally for five runs in the seventh inning to just to make it to Sunday. I was there on Sunday, you know, right there in front of home plate, press row. This – and what's funny is – the first games, I've got Oklahoma fans in front of me, Wisconsin fans behind me, and you're just kind of hearing the the talk back and forth. I would tell you that there, the, even even though they knew they had to beat Oklahoma twice, there was a lot more confidence coming from the Wisconsin fans than I expected in that first game. There was mm-hmm. a lot of belief going late into that game, trailing one to nothing. There was still a lot of belief that they were going to win that game. And then you just kind of see it a little deflate a little bit in that final elimination game. I think it's more of a testament on how good Wisconsin was as opposed to really um, anything that Oklahoma did mentally. I feel like this is a, an extremely mentally strong team, but I do feel like a, a key player like Jocelyn Allo is pressing too much. She's she's trying too hard again. She kind of took that break for the Kansas series, came back and rallied. They need her to mentally get back to where she was that last half of the season after the camp. Because I'm watching her take to the plate, and I'm watching her swing at things, and, and I'm watching her shake her head after she swings, knowing I shouldn't have swung at that or that wasn't a good swing. They need her to be in a good – they need her to be back where she was this time last year. That said, Oklahoma's going from play, playing one Big Ten team in the regional championship to another Big Ten team in the super regional with a chance for – the World Series berth, Northwestern, they came out of the loser's bracket to win that. It's their first regional win in 11 years. I think that when you're talking about mental edge and pressure, the pressure is on Northwestern. Oklahoma Oklahoma has won the regional for like the 10th year in a row. Northwestern's in a super regional for the first time in 11 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means these girls are, are they're playing in this regional. They were in junior high the last time Northwestern was in this spot. So Oklahoma, very familiar territory, home field advantage. I think mentally they're, they have that advantage where I feel like Northwestern is going to have all the pressure on them. And here's the thing is when a team's coming in and playing Oklahoma, whether it's regional, Big 12 conference tournament, regional play or we're looking at super regionals and the women's college world series. These are teams who literally don't have anything to lose because they're not expected to win that contest. And I think that's what can make some of these teams 
potentially really scary, especially a top 16 seed, one of the nationally seeded teams. Matt, we only had one upset in the regionals. Michigan, number 15, loses to, to James Madison. I didn't want to say Monroe, but <laughs> James Madison University. So we're looking at a, a field that was, I mean, they were expected to come out of regionals. They were expected to compete in supers for that spot in the Women's College World Series. And the one thing that I said scares me a bit ago about Northwestern is they've had their backs against the wall once. They know what that pressure feels like. And they still came out and they had to beat Louisville twice. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They did it. Yeah, but there's to me there's a different there's a there's a difference between beating Louisville twice on your home field and then that's a whole different pressure coming to Norman to mm-hmm. try to beat the number one overall. Right, seat. I don't I don't disagree, but Northwestern, like I said, they've got nothing to lose in this. Wildcats, they, oh good. They believe that they have earned their spot. They believe well, of course. that they belong here. Well, that's and, not, and they're just going to come out and try to prove it. Well, yeah, but still, that, I mean, that believing you you belong there and believing you can win at, on the road, two different things. The Wildcats, forty-seven and eleven on the season, uh, the number sixteen seed overall. Let me give you two two numbers here yes, that do. that do what I said. Yes, yeah, do. I'm sorry. Two two numbers here that kind of. What helped me have confidence in this, and then one thing that bothers me: uh, team batting the West Con- uh, Wisconsin team batting Northwestern two seventy two on the season. You know where Oklahoma is team batting number one. Well, I mean, like no. what their their average is. I I don't. All right, so Northwestern two seventy two on the season. Oklahoma averaging three sixty five. Then that was going into the the tournament, the regional. Um, before the regional, um, okay, Northwestern fifty seven team home runs. You want to uh, you want to take a guess on uh, on Oklahoma? Seventy two. Ninety seven. So I mean, you're you're talking about almost one full percentage point higher batting average. 40, uh, 40 home runs higher. Oklahoma definitely, I feel like, the best offensive team coming into this thing. You, we know about Oklahoma's pitching. I, you, I think you're going to get a steady dose of Giselle Juarez. She, in my opinion, she's starting Friday afternoon. You're going to get Mariah Lopez Saturday. That way you're saving um, you're saving Juarez in case there's a game three. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation on Saturday where where if Lopez gets into some trouble that you see Juarez come back. I still have question marks about Shannon Sale just based off of not her ability, but where she is mentally going into her first big-time postseason appearance. She struggled uh, against Wisconsin. There's no way around that. Oklahoma 1.38 staff ERA as a pitching uh, pitching 31 um, – Sorry, 31 and 6 was uh, Northwestern's. I said, that doesn't sound right. I thought I was talking about Oklahoma. Uh, 31 and 6, Northwestern's uh, overall record. Their 31 wins 31 led. 31 and 6. 31 and 6. Their 31 wins they led the Big Ten. They didn't even play 40 games this year. Do what? They didn't even yeah, play well, 40 games. Yeah, well, it's Big Ten this year. softball. What can you say? Um, 31 and 31 wins. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm lying to you. I, I'm, I'm looking at my notes all wrong. Here, here's what I need to tell you Danielle Williams. You're talking about players of the year, okay? Mm hmm. Danielle Williams, 2019 Big Ten Freshman of the Year, received unanimous first-team All-Big Ten honors, freshman team honors, and was selected to the 2019 All-Great Lakes Regional First Team 
Her ERA was 1.38, and she posted a 31 and six record. That's what I was trying to say. There we go. Um, and so go. you're talking about players of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, we had we're getting another one coming to Norman. And this kid, she she is a freshman. She's gonna be playing in in a big time environment. But 31 wins on the season led to Big Ten, most in all, in all the Big Ten, fourth in program history for Northwestern. Oh, and by the way, she also hits. So she'll she'll be like um, she'll be like the show kid uh, at Oklahoma State where she'll she'll uh, work you from the circle and then go go to the plate and, and go yard on you. So Oklahoma that that's the one pause for concern for me with Northwestern is uh, is this Williams kid. I, I you know she's young but she's extremely talented. Yeah, I, I can't argue that again when I'm looking at Oklahoma Northwestern, I know that everyone's expecting Oklahoma in front of a whole home crowd to pull out at least two of the three games, make that return trip to Oklahoma. I fully believe um, it is going to be a, a battle of the pitchers. Who is going to come out ahead? Based upon the numbers that you've given me, sounds like it's going to be a pretty stout battle because we know that Oklahoma's lineup is so full of talent. I can't pin the blame on one person. I'm not going to say it's these swinging for the fences moments that we've seen from Alo that have really hindered this team because they don't have any weaknesses in that list of nine. I've said it, Matt. I know you've said it. I'll continue to say it. So Expect a pitcher's duel. Expect a good time because we know, Matt, just how loud these crowds can be. And if Northwestern has the ability to travel, I'm sure that they will. So we're going to have not only the pitchers going head-to-head, but these fans going head-to-head in competition for noise level. Super Regional sold out in three minutes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're going to have a crowd there for sure. Um, I agree. I I think when you you look at pitchers, though, Oklahoma – has the best pitcher in the country in Giselle Juarez. Right. Oklahoma also has depth behind Juarez in in Lopez and Sale, where I don't I don't think Northwestern is that deep. They're they're gonna you know this this one kid is is gonna be what they've got. And we talk about how Oklahoma will go as far as Giselle Juarez takes them. I believe that's true, but I also believe she's a better pitcher than than what Northwestern's bringing. I also believe percentage point wise and home run wise, Oklahoma's the better of the two offenses. So that gives me. I, I think Oklahoma sweeps it. I, I think this thing's done by Saturday. Could have a Sunday game, but I, I think it's over on Saturday. That's going to wrap it up for us, the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at sports underscore Heartland. Sports underscore. Wait, sorry. Under, Heartland under. I'm just messed up today, man. It's 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 the the travel back and the time zones. Uh, Heartland underscore sports is where you can email us. Heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Hit us up on Twitter at sports Heartland on Twitter at sports Heartland. You can also drop a comment at heartland sports.com heartland sports.com. Drop a comment. Let us know where you agree, disagree. You got any questions or topics you want us to discuss? We'd love to hear from you. Have a great week, everybody. Over sooner. <laughs>